Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to Play to Find Out, your very own podcast sponsored by the Dungeon World Discord. I'm one of your hosts, Eamon, also known as Voidlight, on the Discord, and I'm joined by... Arthur, your other co-host, also known as Art Projects, on the Discord. We have got quite the show for you today. Um, I'd like to start off by jumping right into the action with a highlight from one of a recent game that I played. We're wrapping up, for many of you out there, perhaps the end of school years. Maybe you're going to um, maybe you're gonna graduate from high school or from college, or you're, um, just the term is ending, the summer's beginning. And for some people, that means the end of a season of play, uh, if you're structuring things like that. So I just wrapped up uh, the final uh, session, the finale of a fifth edition game that I was been playing with some friends and there was a very thematic moment very dungeon worldy in my mind moment um where our whole party was in this city and the final boss was basically bearing down on us which was fenrir um this game was heavily inspired by norse mythology and fenrir was bearing down on the city and we had to complete this ritual that my character had found um which he had originally intended to imprison his own patron because he was he's playing as a fifth edition warlock and his patron is one of the fey lords who is kind of a jerk so he's trying to he found this spell called glepnir which is this from actual norse mythology as a un, unbreakable ribbon that can bind a creature and and capture them and like bind things such as gods who's intending to use this but everyone was like that would be perfect to bind fenrir and send him back um, from once he came which is exactly what we needed to do and we went through a process similar to what i imagined that a good dungeon world ritual would entail of collecting all of these ingredients including like the breath of a fish and the sound of cat's footfalls and beard of a woman and all these things that were required by the ritual and then seven paladins simultaneously had to cast this spell while we held off hordes of orcs that were uh, under the sway of Venrir that were coming in from different areas of the city. And there was a, for my personal character, a moment where I got really good play out of a single spell. Um, I, I cast Polymorph and turned my character into a, a woolly mammoth and was able to like charge headlong into a whole group of orcs and and take them on, which is very fun. This is my character is more of a squishy backline caster most of the time. And got to go from having like 20 health, which is not a lot in fifth edition to like over a hundred, like as this mammoth and just like be the tank for once. It's good times. Totally. And I like the sound of that ritual. I am not always great at rituals because so many of my games are one shots and I want to get to the ritual during the one shot. I usually put, a fairly mundane task or an attainable task uh, in front of it. But I love the way that it sounds like your DM presented it of sort of a bunch of paradoxical things, the footfalls of a cat. You know, you can't really capture that. It's not, you know, you can't hear it. It's not there. Um, and having read that myth fairly recently, I, I really appreciate how much it maps to that dungeon worldy ritual. How fun. It was uh, designed such that um, it mapped to a lot of characters uh, having to sacrifice something because it required a sacrificing a magic sword, uh, which like one of the two different characters both had like magic swords they were very attached to and like they had to decide between them like whose was going to be like consumed in the ritual. And um, my character had um, a cloak made out of like owl bear hide and that he had to sacrifice since it required like the feathers of a bear. 
Um, I think mm. this is a modified. I don't know if all of that is in. Yeah, like, the actual I don't think myth, that but, one is in the original. Um, but yeah, so there's these things where our characters had to like really contribute to this cause, which is yeah. kind of cool. How um, many? You mentioned off mic that there was a fairly large number of of players. How many total were there? Um, this session was six. Um, we had seven at full strength, like once upon a time. Okay, but, cool. Yeah, it, it was. It, it felt family manageable today. It just tends to run long, especially with mm-hmm. fifth edition. But um, uh, we've fa- we've talked. Uh, I've talked to the GM a couple times, and, like as a party, talked about like different ways to mitigate that. And I noticed some um, uh, changes this time that did make it run a bit smoother. Like we um, we the combat encounters were typically a little tighter and more focused, mm-hmm. and um, got to like the point of the encounter and didn't get, just get caught up in a lot of roles. And there were a couple of things that normally they would have called for a role for that they didn't, like killing someone who was asleep and that sort of thing, which Dungeon World is very good about. But other games sometimes like um, don't realize serves the action. But yeah, no, it was very enjoyable overall. Um, I'm I'm also itching definitely to play more. Um, to play more Dungeon World, especially over over the summer. Excellent. Do you have a game lined up? I don't. I'm relocating um, to St. Louis personally, so um, I'm going to try to line up several games once I find out specifically where I'll be living and and like who's around and what sorts of pre-existing groups there are and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm going to be eager to play Dungeon World, of course, just because I haven't had an in-person session of Dungeon World for um, a good bit. Um, but additionally, I'll probably be trying to line up Invisible Sun because Invisible Sun is going to be releasing, like actually physically getting to us in early summer. Um, so that's oh, going to be incredible. Perfect. Yeah, especially that that game. Um, I'll I'll go into extremely briefly here. It has this thing called the directed campaign, where you can, um, lo- if you're the GM, log into this website and like submit like what's happening in your game and then receive back like packages of content that you can use in your game um, over the course of an entire year of play, um, where Monty Cook Studios is literally like sending you custom adventures that are branching based on what you tell them in these little surveys your characters are doing. And then they will send you, I think, four times over the course of the campaign, physical packages of things that of like props to show your players, or even like letters addressed to the characters, and, like physical items, because that's just like one of the focuses of this game is that it's a physical like deluxe game. So you might get like a letter addressed to your character, or like a little like emblem or a medallion or like things like that. Just wow. really interesting. Yeah, pretty pretty deluxe. I don't think any other role playing game has attempted that sort of um experience before but it's very cool well speaking of things that can make your adventures stronger i think it's time for us to jump over to our adventure workshop now the theme of today's adventure workshop we're revisiting the world of individual playbooks in dungeon world and specifically today we're going to be talking about a playbook that i've recently had a fun experience with it's time to talk bards. So, Eamon, let's talk bards for a minute. Absolutely, what's up, let's. What's up with these traveling minstrels and makers of music and song? So the bard is somewhat of a controversial playbook, um, and I think that that mainly stems from the fact that um, in the style and the of roleplay that Dungeon World and D&D both strive to capture, it's a very militant style of roleplay that although your session might not include combat all the time, it's clear that all the characters, or at least all the character classes, are warriors or could mm-hmm. be warriors. Yeah. They, they have yeah. obvious combat utility, even though the e- druid... Every class has a damage die. 
Right. Every class has a, every class has a damage die. Every class is obviously a threat, right? Like if you rolled up on um, some shaman guy, you know, even though he might not be holding a sword, you know, he could turn to a tiger, right? Or a thief can backstab you, that sort of thing. But the bard is the, the least threatening, like um, thematically. So I think a lot of people are like, what am I going to do? Just like play a loot somewhere while everyone else fights. And I think that's a kind of like a something that draws it back from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And conversely, attracts a lot of people to it where it's sort of seen as the um non-traditional class or like the edgy class even and it, mm-hmm. it just depends based on that but in dungeon world the playbook takes the default playbook takes a certain approach to capturing the um the classic D idea of the bard as this like magically infused warrior that can um like shatter people's eardrums and, and inspire people to heroic deeds and heal people with uh, song and things like that well um, i want to know art your thoughts on the vanilla dungeon world bard like well, how have you seen it played well how have you seen it like played to perhaps ill effect and um your general feelings about it as well for sure so i had a bard in a single in a single session uh part of a campaign or one of the players picked up a new character just for the day. And we went through the entire session, and not once did that player roll Arcane Art, which is the the big bard ability, the one where you actually make music. On the one hand, you know, it's sort of a core bard ability. It's the sort of thing that you really expect to see from a bard. But at the same time, that character concept tied into being a bard really strongly. She very much didn't want to... She, she was very focused on the fact that she had been slighted by a noble and that the noble had said she wasn't a very good violinist. And the whole tone of that character throughout the adventure was very much rooted in this bardy flavor, despite not actually really leaning into the bard move set as much. I've also had people get a great deal of mileage out of the charming and open move, which is, I think, even though arcane art is like the big canon move of a bard, I think charming and open is the most fun move that they have. And then I've also, as a GM, experienced kind of the downside to a bard, which is that they shine at their best when they're in a civilized place. And failing to give them a civilized place to operate in or a place where their performance can be observed, it, it can, it, in much the same way that if you, give a, if you don't give a thief something to steal from, it's not exactly playing into the class. So I find that unlike many of the Dungeon World playbooks, as a GM, you really have to think about what you're going to oper- offer to the bard as opportunities for their class. Mm. Like they can be a hard class to reconcile with certain others. I think we talked Certainly, about that yeah. in our I, I've had troubles play. with bards and rangers in the same party for a one-shot before. I think my personal favorite bard move of the vanilla bard is um, bardic lore, just because um, it allows us to see the bard as a collector of, of tales, a collector of knowledge, and sort of a um, well-traveled that we know that the bard gets around and they know things that like surprise people or that they perhaps shouldn't, which I think is pro- one of the most interesting aspects of it. I've seen the bard playbook um, rewritten for Dungeon World several times, and um, the, the ones that I tend to gravitate to- towards or enjoy are the ones that make um, uh, just some small edits to the playbook to remove the like uh rock magical rock god elements and add more of a storyteller element so they 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 remove the things from arcane art where they can like directly deal damage and change it to like you can have an ally deal more damage because they're like invigorated by your song or something like that and they add some more features where by telling a story and by like enthralling people with a tale or a, a ballad you can get some effect right or like employ them 
apply them to your will, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about our strategies for making it as much fun as possible for bards in our parties in our, and in our games. So one strategy that I always employ is the civilization adventure civilization sandwich, where there's a clear starting point in a civilized place that is still hostile that transitions gracefully into the adventure, whether or not the adventure is in the wild or in a pastoral area, small town, big town, big city, whatever it happens to be. And then make sure that 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 adventure leads into some other civilized place. Because that hits on a few different things. It gives us a civilization to start in where the bard can start to approach the more performance-oriented elements and we'll have opportunities for some social play. And then in the adventurer segment, it gives a chance for the bard to showcase a lot of their you know, support moves. Arcane art will probably come up during that chunk. And then ideally when they arrive at the new civilization, it's an opportunity to either lean into the elf move. When you enter an important location, you can ask the GM for one fact. Or into bardic lore about the new place or the new things that they encounter there. So that's one way to make sure that there are ample points where a bard move can trigger without going too far out of your way from what an ordinary session might look like. There is, um, in regards to the bard, an opportunity for you to have a, char uh, a, a conversation with, with the player who's choosing that character, especially if you see someone gravitating towards that playbook, because I think the, uh, the best bard's players want the bard for the, the right reasons, or at, not necessarily the right reasons, but like, they want the bard for what the bard is. Um, and what I mean by that is if the character simply, or the player simply wants their character to be a musician, um, that doesn't have to be the bard. I mean, any class can be a musician just by having an instrument. That's something that you can layer on top of a, a, a different class, even to have some, some nuance mm -hmm. there. The bard isn't just a musician. They are a storyteller, a traveler, a jongleur, a... They are a who charismatic actually... central point to a group. Yeah. And they, they also are a magic user. They, they, they are inherently um, have some sort of magic within them. Whether that counts as the same type of magic in your world is more of a world-building discussion, whether they count as a caster per se, but they are someone that is a charmer, and that is very much um, inherent to that playbook. And it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in the moves and in the options. So if you're picking the bard um, for different reasons, you might find yourself never choosing certain bullet points or like entirely steering away from certain things, which can make the playbook feel a little cramped. Um, but yeah, which yeah. is ironic because the bard has, I think, the most multi-class options of any of the core playbooks, right? Oh, I think yeah, it's it very has flexible. Three or four. So the bard is really meant to be a quick learner and someone that can learn the, and fill in roles in the party that are maybe missing from the core group at the outset. Oh, yes. And this and is very much um, echoed from older D&D editions as well. For sure. And then, of course, there are some great advanced moves uh, that are extremely flavorful. The, In particular, the way that a bard is positionable as this sort of swashbuckling character with moves like Duelist's Parry. I think really get at the the heart of what I at least I want out of my bards. Oh yes, they're very um, very. I don't know what the word. I was gonna say swashbuckly, but I realized that you just said that. Mm -hmm. um, 
the warrior poet, I guess, is the, the, the ideal bard in my mind that they're sort of, you could, I could almost imagine a bard that was like a samurai, right? That like, they sure they like have a sword and things, but when you realize that like they're at most at home when they have their, um, their flute or something like after the battle, that they can just like compose a haiku about it or yeah. something. Cool. Or, or during. Yeah. Or, or during that each, each, each blow is a different verse. There's, um, I forget it's, I don't think it's printed on the, actually it is, um, Anthony, Giovanetti has a series of playbooks um, called like the Raceless playbooks, where he rewrites um, the playbooks like based on some community feedback, and also rewrites the raisins as just backgrounds, so that you can just choose whatever race you want and then choose like a background. And the ones for the bard are either well versed or traveler, and I think they're literally the same moves, just like named different things. But this one is the one that changes the bard quite a bit um, to allow the bard to have um, more. Um, of a mundane feel that they're not like casting flashy, like shining lights coming out of their instrument and stuff. Um, but they do add a lot of moves that feed into what you were talking about. Like there's an, a six to 10 advanced move for the bard called thread on the gauntlet, where you can like compel someone to duel you. Um, and like they lose their respect of their peers. If they don't like that sort of thing, where you create those moments. Um, there are moves in here about uh, insulting the enemies, the classic bard thing uh, moves in here before like seduction moves in here. Um, for uh, charming, like different things like that. So, just one quick thing: where are you seeing throw down the gauntlet? Because I'm looking at my bard character sheet from our. It's on this um on this uh, modified playbook. Oh, um, on the modified playbook. Yeah. Okay, super wonderful. And we'll link out to those because, of course, yeah, there's a, one more of these for better, and B, each of the classes. So yeah. it's interesting um to see uh people's takes on them. Like, like the, the one of these for the cleric, like, makes their spellcasting more vague. So that's more up to, like, the interpretation of the god to determine how it exact, exactly looks and stuff like that. Right. Pretty interesting. Um, we had, between you and I, Arthur, a um, some some good screen time, so to speak, with the bard. Do you want to transition we to talking about did. some of that? Yeah, so let's jump into our meta talk and do a little post-mortem on the actual play stream that we released as our previous episode. Episode 10, 11. So we did a live call-in show, although really it became a live Dungeon World Legacy Weapon play stream, in which I played Willem Wellmet, a bard with a magical sword that carried me into an adventure, uh, going down to hell to rescue or find the dead body of a paladin who had gone missing. I had a lot of fun. So, out of character, yeah. the, the conceit was, I think, very much your brainchild, Arthur, that we were um, we were recording an actual play, but we were recording it in such a way that people could listen in live through Twitch and also joining us on the Dungeon World server, which we may potentially do again in the future. I hope, we, I played, hope we, would, we do, um, yes. We were encouraging people to um, interrupt the show if they wished and join in so we could talk live on the air about questions, potentially about things that we were doing um in the session um and we had some uh people uh listening along and commenting in but um no one got on the air um so next time definitely if we do something feel free to um come to on to the show and we'll be sure when we do to make it available to people a little bit sooner we sort of scrambled at the last minute and and announced it mere hours before we started so next time we're going to definitely go into it with a little bit more scheduling in advance yeah, and you can still listen to that whole thing if you if you missed it. it it's certainly up on can. the feed. So the previous episode in the feed, check it out. But let's jump in. We're gonna address spoil 
I, I use big quotation marks around spoil here. We're going to spoil the the thing that we did and sort of summarize it and talk about specifics here. So if you really, really want to go into it unsullied, then, you know, go back, listen to it now, come back. We'll be waiting for you right here. I'll talk a little bit of high-level stuff, and then uh, you could help me drill down into the low-level stuff of minute-to-minute minute, what was going on with Let's your character. But um, from, a, from a GM's perspective, I was uh, GMing this little session, and I was leveraging uh, the leverage Lexi weapon supplement, um, which guides the character um, after you have your character ready through the creation of this weapon and through its previous owners. And we had uh, Jan, the emulator, um, who um, was the one that we determined in fiction created this weapon, which ended up being a magical rapier or fencing saber. And that passed down uh, the weapon eventually to Schofield Wallsworth, who was a fighter. And then the weapon eventually passed into the hands of a wizard named Triskadeka, and then finally into the hands of the bard, which is our, our current player, Wilhelm Waltz, Wil, Wilhelm Wilmet. And all of these um, were little um, throwbacks to characters that you had played in the past. Is that correct? Uh, characters that I'd either played or GM'd for. Schofield is oh, okay. a previous character of mine. Jan and Triskadeka are both uh, are a current player and are a current player character and a former player character, respectively. That you've seen at your table. So that I, yeah, that I have at my cool. table. I was also leveraging a one-page, uh, one-page little adventure location by Michael Prescott, um, which was very, uh, very interesting too. Kind of a paladin lost in hell aesthetic was was going for there. The the main quest was that um, this this bard was seeking a paladin who had been on this long solo quest, and it was about time that they had come back and been reclaimed by civilization. So. What was the descent um, like for you as you were starting to go down? And how, how did you... I'm interested to hear what your plans were because you, um, you you didn't know what you might encounter um, and you had a weapon, but you were I could tell that you were trying to bring to the table the other aspects of the bard um, and did quite well, I might add. Yeah, I, had, I really wanted to lean into the bard. I didn't draw the weapon once. And my first move as a PC, I think, was to throw my other weapon into a pool to see how deep it was. So that should give you a sense yeah. of where I was starting with this character, at least. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I went into it without much of a plan, I guess. I knew that the adventure would carry me to hell, because that's the title of the thing. But at the same time, I really wanted to lean into what was down there and with sort of a an unplanned adventure, which in part was motivated by the alignment that I chose. I went with Chaotic, where my move was spur others to significant and unplanned decisive action. So I figured I might as well lean into that myself if I was going to be hoping for others in that same vein. Yeah, and we got to really hit upon that alignment in a pretty poignant moment towards the end of the session where you encountered a Hell Knight. Do you want to summarize that moment? Yeah, sure. So at a certain point, I found myself descending a long flight of stairs to the westernmost castle in Hell. And on that flight of stairs, I came across a knight, uh, a Hell Knight, who breathed in sulfur from a crystal ball that I guess processed the air into something that he could breathe. 
and whose long-notched sword and dark helmet indicated that, at minimum, he was capable of completely destroying me. And in, in that conversation, I definitely went into it with sort of an an open mind about this character, and not exactly non-confrontational, but certainly not jumping into it with the assumption that it would be a violent conflict. And I think the result of that sequence ended up being, ended up leaning into a lot of bardy stuff. I think I used every bard move except for Port in the Storm during that interaction, and I'm hoping honestly that it will set up Port in the Storm for the future. From a GM's perspective, it was it was delightful because you subverted an encounter. Um, I didn't necessarily have planned out how it was going to go, but in my mind, it was fairly binary that this character would either allow you to pass unharmed or if you antagonize them, would try to attack you, right? That this knight was, was this guardian of this stair. That you were already um, encountering only a single knight, so I didn't want the encounter to just be kind of like flat or easy, that it's just like they're a pushover. Mm -hmm. But instead, you decided to talk to the character, right? And decided to actually engage with them and try to find out like why they're here and that, and that, and that type of thing and like what they actually desire um, as the bard is wont to do. And I, I, I was almost going in there not even knowing if this character could speak because at first it was simply gesturing ominously. Mm -hmm. Then I figured that um, because of what you were feeding me as a player, it probably should yeah. like since we wanted to have the interaction and that, that was, that made it, that set you up for a masterful move right. where I definitely, you got to, I, I really appreciate how much you picked up on the player flag. I was, <sighs> I was signaling, I was sort of waving in the air. This is person I should talk to. And you immediately, I, I don't want to, did you, do you feel like you abandoned a plan for that character or just filled in a blank? to find out. Yeah, I think we we're yeah. filling a blank because I didn't know if they had a name or a personality, but when you asked those things, I was like mm -hmm. trying to improv those, which was good. Yeah, and then the personality um, you came up with not only fit perfectly, but gave me some great hooks to dig into further as uh, interested as I was in that. And um, I didn't know your intent necessarily. Like you, you um, eventually were like, "Let me play you a song," and they mm -hmm. acquiesced. Because, oh, certainly that was yeah. not my intent. Uh, I sort of discovered that in play. It just seemed like the natural next step for the character. And once you played them a song, I thought you were going to subvert it and um, use that as a way to attack them. They weren't expecting that your song would be weaponized, but instead you. Um, you chose the cure them of an enchantment mm -hmm. um, option to literally sort of like heal their mind the way that, and that's clearly intended in vanilla dungeon world for uh, other pcs like in the party the bard can be a supporting character right mm -hmm. um, but you ended up like basically like liberating this hell knight from his own like curse and he like left <laughs> and that was the yeah, way you sort of got I gave past him the a salami and said go up the stairs and there's a temple up there um, be free now child yeah i did sort of also mean to imply although i don't know if this really came across uh, i meant to imply that you know if you have to kill them all in order to survive the rest of the trek maybe that's fine maybe they don't seem all that great but i don't know the acolytes that, yeah like that he would he would fight his own way to the surface yeah, yeah. clearly this is a fellow who's not going to have any trouble even without the sword that he left behind certainly yeah I mean, in order to become a Hell Knight, he's he's already died once in yeah. the fiction here, so. Yeah. And then I tried to break his sword, and instead I cut my leg. I managed to still play into the core thing of that encounter, which is getting cut once. And now I am marked. Yeah, we, we for uh, six minus results, we leveraged the ability to have something be delayed. Mm -hmm. And we had him simply be marked, and so that will come 
later as all the Hell Knights are now aware of him or yeah. his presence in that realm. Which, of course, as a character, I don't know that. But as a player, of course, I'm going to be able to play into that where I'll be able to specifically lean into the fact that my character doesn't know that he is hunted. And when you don't know that you're hunted, you're naturally going to be a little bit more willing to take a risk rather than trying to sneak around real sneakily. And at the same time, maybe if I do try to sneak around real sneakily, that won't work. I could tell during this session that a lot of things we've talked about previously on this show were definitely coming to bear and coming to light, um, which was really cool. I think enhanced the role play a good deal. Like there were things that just because we had talked about them in recent Mm -hmm. weeks were potentially on our minds. Uh, Food particularly. Like I certainly would not have thought to ask you because you said I I give him a ration at one point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is the ration specifically? And, And you said that it was like a salami right yeah so that's interesting to know that like you had salted meat because it keeps well and that sort of thing and i think could also uh, transition into us talking about our our picture this potentially yeah i think so let's get into food part two in picture this so an overview um, we had uh, a member of the Discord, Sentinel Greg, who is beginning to um, get his own little z- uh, zine off the ground, or zine if you prefer. Zine. And I strongly this, prefer um, zine. <laughs> I will. I will stick to zine for the sake of peace. Peace on this show. Um, and this zine is called Dungeon Rations, and is focused um, not just on food specifically, but on the small. Um, maybe human moments uh, in role-playing and in world-building that get left by the wayside to add color and flavor to the world. But I think their first um, issue is focusing on food in particular. And there was a survey that went out um, that was available to be taken by anyone who desired to click the link on the Discord. And the responses were all open. So we got to have the joy of watching um, this spreadsheet get filled in as different people responded to the survey. And there were a lot of cool options on there. Some questions were... Uh, what's an interesting food item that might appear in a campaign? What's an interesting NPC or monster related to food? A unique location related to food? A grim portent or a front related to food? Or an interesting custom related to food? And then your favorite real-world food memory. Arthur, do you want to highlight some of your favorite responses here? For sure. I'd like to highlight my favorite interesting custom related to food slash cooking slash eating. Choosing what to eat for your own meals when in the company of others is deeply offensive. Someone else must tell you what to eat. This is done through an elaborate, overly polite ritual where you're expected to suggest meals to eat, which are obviously something you don't want, so that others may reject them and steer you towards more sensible fare. Spending less than 20 minutes on this exchange is quite rude, and that's from Nine Ninths. Yeah, thank you for that, Nine Ninths. That's the best. That's that's a really fun one, and it it really um, reeks of the air of, like, foppish nobles who have just lots of particular customs just because yeah. being fancy is important mm-hmm. and i think would play into a session with a bard quite well yes. like that if they were playing for a royal wedding or some sort of meal yeah to our early or to our earlier conversation about bards needing a civilization to play and thieves needing something to steal when you have a bard and a thief there's an obvious adventure Synergy. to go on which is there's yeah. a party happening go to the party and steal something from it and this is the sort of thing that as a GM, if you pull out this one detail, it makes your party instantly memorable. 
and also means you don't have to have that much else prepared because so much of the detail gets filled in just in this in the context of this very strange custom so it's a great thing to have in your gm toolkit i'd like to call out um an interesting npc or monster related to food uh anonymous that's not this person's name. They just did not provide a name. Uh, brings us Harold the Desperate Cheesemonger. Please taste my cheese, he wails, highly suspicious. And that's all that's written. I think yeah. that's a great little caricature of a yeah. character right there. Now, if I were using Harold the Desperate in one of my games, it would be in the context of a bizarre sequence or some sort of street market where the players are walking through a crowded, loud place. And Harold the Desperate would be one of the people who who shouts at the players and that'd be some flavor dialogue that I throw in there. But of course, just because I don't ha I'm not planning to have that character mean anything doesn't mean that the players aren't going to immediately want to know more about Harold the Desperate Cheesemonger. So, Eamon... Why is he so desperate? Why is he so desperate? I think if Harold is in my game, um, he's under some sort of curse because this is not a good sales strategy, we understand. Mm -hmm. Like, to plead with people in an obviously frantic tone to buy your product will scare them away. But if you've been trying to sell off this cheese for quite a while, um, that is um, sensible in that context. I think that he's under a curse from a vindictive wizard where he is slowly um, uh, molding and curdling and parts of his body are turning into cheese. Oh, gross. And unless someone willingly eats it, it will not reverse. And I, not heal. I like that curse a lot because it's awful. I'd like to yeah. suggest an, another option for the Go discerning ahead. palate out there. Harold of the Desperate Cheesemonger carries one wheel of brie. Until that wheel is tasted by another, he must attempt to sell it whenever the opportunity presents itself. Because he cannot relinquish the brie until it is eaten. Now, when someone else eats it, it becomes their responsibility to peddle the brie. They become the desperate cheesemonger themselves. Ah, <laughs> and so well, how has this been created? Who, who who stands to gain from this cheese being passed like a t game of horrible tag? I think it's just mean. I think it's just it's someone just did something mean, and this is the result of it. Or it's magic that went wrong. Someone was trying to create an infinite source of cheese for them to peddle, and they didn't quite get it right. And this is the result of. It's such a benign curse to have to pass on to somebody else. But I can also imagine a player, you know, snacking on a little free piece of cheese. And then for the rest of the campaign, it's just something that they have to deal with. Maybe I Every offer XP if they lean into the <laughs> cheesemonger element of their character when it would be inconvenient mm -hmm. to do so. They're in the dragon's lair. And rather than sneaking around underneath his very nose... The player just just attempts to feed the dragon a little a little piece. That's amazing. It's like, oh no, we can't come into the castle. Well, that's a bummer. But is there any chance you'd buy this cheese? Would you like this cheese? Please taste it. Please taste my cheese. Because he's not trying to sell the cheese. I notice. He's he's just looking for someone to taste the cheese. Yes. The um we talked I think of in the magic. Uh, uh, episode a little bit about um, spells and, and weird things that can happen with spells. And I think one of us mentioned the concept of a living spell, like a spell that accidentally gains some kind of arcane form of sentience mm -hmm. and just starts going around. And I like those things being we weird and in inscrutable and sort of malformed. And I like the idea of this spell that um, kind of got away from someone and is out in the wild mm -hmm. and it just feeds off of desperation. 
So it like infects this cheese with this curse as a way to just sort of propagate and sort of follow around and just mm-hmm. magically feed off of the desperation of who the current wielder is as they get more and more fed up with having this. Yeah, it's probably good cheese. Most cheese in my experience is good. And that Especially might just be because I've mostly eaten cheese that was sold to me rather than peddled by a desperate man. But still, cheese is great. In uh, Marvel's and Malaisons, the uh, OSR just uh, um, system neutral spell supplement that I, I suggested a few weeks back, uh, there is starting packages like uh, for a wizard that you can take that have like weird anachronistic gear that. Um, is tailored based on the school of magic that that your character goes with. So if your character is a diabolist or something, there's like interesting uh, things there. Like it might be a goat with a a demon sigil on its brow or something. But the one for the psychomancer, which is sort of like a mentalist wizard, a lot of focusing on dreams, one of the packages was just a massive wheel of this uh, grandiosely smelly cheese that when eaten um, grants uh, psychedelic dreams, which is useful if you are a, a, a caster that needs to cast within a dream. And I just thought that was so flavorful. Pun intended. I, I'm sure pungent even. Pungent, yeah. Are there any more of these uh, that you'd like to call out? Let me just take a quick swing through this. There's one of the fronts that I quite liked. There was a front about lich salts. Yes. Where... The locals find a strange container, which unbeknownst to them contains the corpse salts of a powerful lich. But they're just like, oh, what a find, some rare some rare salt. It's potentially quite delicious. And it becomes distributed through the, the town or whatever. And um, the first sign of it is that a pair of locals known to be thieves become sick, getting strange necrotic wounds in their hands and arms. Then the butcher begins selling salted meat that never spoils which is suspicious. Locals start becoming sick and dying after eating that meat, and those who have died from the sickness begin to rise as undead, and the newly undead come together, and eventually they like their bodies form together, and then that the lich reforms, yeah. um, which I think is a great, um, unexpected, grim, grim important. Totally. Salt is really valuable. So tying... Yeah, especially in medieval societies. Yeah, and so tying... There's no refrigerators. Tying a front to salt is a really good idea. And I think these are great for importance because every single every single one of these has a hook where when the PCs become aware of it, they can investigate further. A pair of locals known to be thieves become sick? Well, they must have stolen something that made them sick. Let's go figure out what they stole. Butchers sell salt to meat? Well, where do they get the, the salt? And so on and so forth. Really good for importance. Um, and I like the doom as well, which is... Undead Horde. Nice. Yeah, and additionally, like this, this is one of those great importance that can sort of run in the background, um, which which are sometimes hard for uh, GMs to make because a lot of people's important is just a a way of codifying their their main arc, right? That you're you're already already planning on the rise of some big bad, and so you have got that in your important form. But there's this going on in the background where every time they return to the town. Um, there's just like some someone's getting sick on salt. Like we don't have time to check that out, but they leave it unchecked, and then eventually one day they come home from the adventure, and there's like literally a, an undead outbreak totally. because they left this salt problem unchecked. Yeah. I try to make most, if not all, of my grim importance something that is because two other groups are interacting with each other, and the PCs can get involved on either side of that, just so that there's a way to justify why it keeps happening in the background. Yeah, faction interactions and such. And so in this one, we've got the interaction between 
the lich that's uh, salted this salt, corpse this salt. I don't know what the verbs are here, but the originating point and the town that inadvertently gets cursed by it is a nice interaction. So with that in mind, ordinarily at this point in the show, we jump into our emails and answer some questions from the community at large, but I think the inbox may be dry this week. So send us an email at playtofindout at protonmail.com, and we'll make sure to follow up on it on the show. We're really excited to hear what questions you have for us. But with that, I think it's time for us to conclude for the evening. Sign off. We'll have um, roll our make camp move, settle down, end the cast. Yes, we should be so lucky. Mark experience. Right into the show. Tell us tell us whether we fulfilled our alignment for this week. Yes. And once again, I am one of your hosts, Arthur, Art Projects on the Discord. I'm your co-host, Eamon, Voidlight on the Discord. And feel free to not only send us an email, but tweet at us. Um, we have a Twitter uh, handle, which is uh, play numeral two find out. And if and, you like what we're doing, feel free to jump on iTunes and leave a review. It really helps us out, not only because we can see what people like and what people don't like, but also because iTunes really cares about engagement. And the algorithms will only choose us if we are reviewed. And if you really, really like us, jump on the Dungeon World Discord. Uh, there's so much more there, um, including ourselves, off mic chatting Mm -hmm. and many many others and i must say a wealth of dungeon world content uh from which this podcast um is one of those items and we benefit enormously from that that community yeah absolutely so join us there but for now thank you for listening and see you next time on play to find out and